But, you know, we've been, uh, we've been studying the tabernacle, and if you've got your bulletins and you're a note taker like me, you can follow along and take notes. Uh, but it's been really interesting to me because you think about this, this dirty old tent in the middle of the wilderness. It's dusty, probably stinky, kind of messy. But that's where God dwells. And I think about that in my life. This is a dirty old tent right here that you see stand before you. How many mistakes have I made in this service just today? That shows you how much of a mess I am. But God dwells in me. And because of that, I am a sanctuary for him. And I think when you study the story of the tabernacle, you see the story of the gospel, which is this. God wants a relationship with everyone. You, me, we, thee. He wants a relationship with everyone, but because he is holy, he cannot tolerate sin, but he prepares a way and does whatever it takes for you to have a relationship with him. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but that is the gospel. He gives us what we need so that we can be reconciled and have a relationship with him. And we see this clearly when you study the tabernacle. And as we study this, it should point us directly to Jesus because everything we study is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. We're gonna see that even again today. If you have your Bibles, it's Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Once again, it's important to understand that all these instructions that are given to Moses comes from God. He is the one orchestrating this. He's not saying, well, Moses, if you want to make the altar, uh, the brazen altar, you know, 50 feet large. Do... No, he gives them specific instructions, which tells us we serve a God of details. There is a reason and a purpose for God's instructions to Moses. And that's what we see here. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so they will not die. That tells you, you follow God's rules or their consequences. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they, still, they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. Bless the reading of your word, Lord Jesus. Help us to apply it to our lives. We will give you praise forever. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So if you were here last Sunday during Mother's Day, or you follow my wife Sherry on Facebook, you have learned that we have a new member of our family. We have little Annie. Now, now let me, don't get me wrong. I, I do like animals. I'm not that miserly of a guy, but I, you know, I do like animals. I guess the thing I don't like is the mess that accompanies animals. That, that's what drives me crazy. But I will have to admit, this was Sherry's Mother's Day gift. 
And it's hard to look at that face and say, oh, come on. You know, it's adorable. It's adorable. But I, you know, once again, me being the person I am, she told me, we, I was like, we can wait until Evan goes to Trevecca. We can wait till the fall, but you see who won that argument, who usually wins the arguments in our house. We have little Annie. So like I said, I love dogs. I love life. I love little Annie. Um, I was even singing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow the other day because of her name. Evan, I think, nailed it, though, because he was singing It's the Hard Knocks Life for Us. So I kind of agree with Evan's song probably even better than mine. But the problem with dogs, the problem with animals is that, especially puppies, there's some mess that goes with them. There's a lot of upkeep when they come into your house. And let me give you an example. We had another dog named Sophie. And Sophie, once again, great dog, great dog. But she was out in our backyard and she saw a black cat in our backyard and started chasing and barking at it. And all of a sudden, I hear all this barking. I run out the door and little did I know that that black cat was literally a skunk, a skunk. And little Sophie chasing that skunk got sprayed and she stunk. It was horrible, just that smell alone. And then what scares me, the other night, I smelled a skunk in our, around our house again. I'm like, oh no, this is gonna happen to little Annie too. But that skunk stink, we could not get out of Sophie. We tried the, the tomato juice. G- Tr- Sherry went on Facebook and all these websites to figure out what cuts the smell of a skunk. We could not get rid of that smell for anything. And, you know, Sophie was old enough. She was trained. She had run of our house. She would even sleep in Sherry's bed. She would do all of that. But once she got sprayed by a skunk, I put my foot down and I said, no, we're putting her in a crate. We're keeping her from running around all the house and stinking up the whole house because she smells She's contaminated. She's dirty. We are not stinking up our house because we love this dog. And I won that one. We, she ended up, it took about three or four days. We had to crater back like when she was a pup. But finally that stink was gone. Here's the reality. We deal with a lot of stink in our life when it comes to sin. We live in a sinful world. And we, in the presence of a holy God, probably smell worse than Sophie getting sprayed by a skunk. And so God just can't let that person who is, who is stained by sin, who is unclean, who is dirty, just come and go into his presence. You can't do that because, like I said, he's a holy God. But he loves you so much that he wants to be with you. So what does he do? He provides a means to cleanse you through and through. So that stink of sin is gone because of what he has done for us. You see, the Bible tells us God is holy, holy, holy. That's the only characteristics that is mentioned three times to describe God. Holy, holy, holy. And when he is holy, 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 then in order to enter into his presence, you've got to get that smell of sin off of you. There's got to be some kind of cleansing that takes place because God can't allow sin 
to enter into his presence. But there's the good news. God always provides a means to cleanse us from what is impure. And that's exactly what we see with the bronze laver. This is a place where you walk into the courtyard. The first thing you see, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, was the altar of burnt offering. That tells us the first thing, whenever you come into God's presence, requires a sacrifice. Praise the Lord. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. That's how we can enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. But the very second thing that you see after the sacrifice is this bowl, this bronze bowl that the priests would use to clean themselves, their hands, their feet. And remember what the scripture said, if they didn't do it, they would die. It was important to get that stink of sin off of them so that they could enter into the presence of God. And so we see that after the sacrifice, some kind of cleansing has to take place in our life if we're going to have a relationship with God. And you might say, well, Pastor Ed, that's just for the priest. Maybe the pastor has to be clean, but I'm just a layman. No, look at what the scripture says in Peter. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special position. So just like the priest would wash their hands and feet in the tabernacle, you too are a royal priesthood from God. You represent him. Jesus is our high priest. He's the mediator between God and man, but we are a part of the priesthood as well. So we require cleansing as well. If you like to take notes and you're following along with your outline, the bronze laver was highly polished Exodus 38.8 tells us that. Thus, the priest would see their own reflection when they washed. So when they went up to the bronze laver and they washed themselves, the very bottom of the bowl was highly polished. And you might say, well, what do you mean by that? If you look at Exodus 38.8, it says, they made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So this is what happened. There were these women that served at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they, when they were building the tabernacle, all the Israelites had to bring something of value to the tabernacle to be used by God. That, that, and these women were the same way. When they were slaves in Egypt, they never had access to mirrors. They were busy making bricks out of straw. They were busy working as slaves. But all the Egyptian women had these mirrors. And I'm sure the women of Israel looked and said, boy, one day I would just love to have a mirror just to see and look and see what's going on. When they were let go from Egypt, the Egyptians gave them gold, silver, bronze, all this plunder, and they gave those women mirrors. And what's really cool is those mirrors had to be valuable to those women. This is the first time in their lives that they could actually see themselves. And it's not like a mirror that you and I have today. It was probably just some brass polished. You couldn't see every little pimple or every little stubble of hair, but you could see a reflection of yourself. And so those mirrors were highly valued. But when God said, I need them, they willingly gave those pieces that were valuable to them to God. That tells me, number one, that God doesn't want your second best. He wants your best. 
He wants what is valuable to you. He wants you to give that to him. And these women willingly gave their mirrors. And you might say, well, why did God want that? Why did God want that? You see, when those priests would wash in the basin, they could see that reflection of themselves as they were cleansing themselves. And a lot of times, when I wake up in the morning, I don't look like I do right now. This is what I look like. This is what I look like. I shared that during James, but this is the way I wake up. I'm not well coiffed, I'm not put together, but thank goodness for mirrors, because I can look in the mirror and say, ooh, I better not leave for church today looking like this, because that is how valuable a mirror is. My guess is you would say, well, a mirror's not very valuable to us. We can go to Walmart and get it for five bucks. That's probably true, but I wonder, just looking across this congregation and seeing how good you guys look, I could almost say every one of you looked in a mirror this morning before you left the church because that's how valuable it is to be able to see yourself, to see your reflection, to go to church not looking like this. That is what a mirror does. And as those priests washed themselves and looked into the basin, they could see a reflection of themselves. Let me just say this, true cleansing requires honest self-reflection. A lot of times people say, well, I don't need to be cleansed. I mean, I'm not a murderer. I I haven't committed adultery. I, I mean, I'm pretty good. But when you look in the mirror, maybe this is what you see. You see, when you look at Jesus's words, he said, if, you have anger in your heart toward another. That's murder of your heart. I've had anger in my heart toward other people. If you look at a person upon with lust, that is committing adultery in your heart. Sometimes we have to show the mirror of God's word and let's look at ourselves. And I think if we did that, we would realize that no one is too bad that God cannot clean, and no one is too good that doesn't need cleansing from God. We all need to be cleansed. And until you look at yourself as God sees you, you won't realize you need a savior. A lot of people live in denial. I'm pretty good, I don't do that bad. But when you look at yourself, that's when God shows you that you need a savior, you need cleansing. And so I believe that's why those mirrors were in that brazen, brazen uh, laver. Look at, the, uh, look at Isaiah. Isaiah is one of my favorite biblical characters, but even in the book of Isaiah chapter six, verse five, he says, woe to me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among an unclean people with, or people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. If I look at Isaiah's life, I think he's pretty good. But even he is saying when he looks in that mirror, woe to me, I am ruined. We all need cleansing. We all need a savior. And that's what this is showing us today. So why must we be cleaned? Why must we be cleaned? Well, number one, God's purity demands it. God's purity demands it. First Peter 
chapter one, verses 15, 16 says, just as he who called you is holy, that's Jesus, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God's purity demands that we be holy too. He can't have us run through the house of God smelling like a skunk because of the sin. We need to be purified and we need to be holy because he is holy. So God's purity demands it, but also his presence demands it. I read this verse in the very beginning of the service today. Psalm 24, three through four. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. What does it mean to have clean hands and a pure heart? You might have your thoughts, but if you go back to the Jewish mindset, they always looked at clean hands as your external behaviors, how you conduct your life. So the Pharisees, for example, looked like they had clean hands. They were able to obey the Sabbath day laws. They were able to even add to the Sabbath day laws. They looked very, very holy because of their outward appearance. But what did Jesus call them? He said, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you're dead. And to really be holy and cleansed through and through, not only do you have to have clean hands, but you have to have a pure heart. And the only one that can do that is God himself. You can put all the tomato juice on that you want, go onto the internet and find out what it takes to get that stink off. But the only way you can be truly clean, clean outward appearance and external, or external behaviors, but also pure inside is through an act of God. He's the only one that can do that. So how are we made clean? How are we made clean? First off, we are covered by Christ's sacrifice. We talked about this with the brazen altar, but Hebrews 9, 11 through 15 covers it so beautifully. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. We are clean because of the sacrifice that God made for us. That is what we must do. We must be covered by Christ's sacrifice. We must be cleansed by his righteousness. One of my favorite scriptures as well, First, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, Pastor Ed, I'm pretty good. I don't know if I necessarily need the righteousness of God. Well, let me tell you what Isaiah says once again. He says, our righteousness is filthy rags. So we need God's righteousness because our righteousness is filthy rags. We are not clean, make no mistake, unless we have an experience with God. And then finally, so we are clean by, cleansed, covered by his sacrifice, cleansed by his righteousness, and we are cleansed by God's word and transformed by the word. And that's important. When you see Ephesians 5.26, it says, he might sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of water by the word. When you get into God's word, 
It's like holding that mirror up. You read the scripture and you realize, I need the Lord. I need his sacrifice. I need his cleansing. Get into the word of God because it does cleanse you and transforms you. So what do we need to do? Number one thing is to gaze into Christ so that we need to be made clean. When we gaze into Christ, we can see very quickly that we need to be clean. I talked about getting into the word. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned, not most of us, not even some of us, but all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when you realize that, and then you look into the eyes of Christ, you see, I need him. I need him to be my sacrifice. I need him to cleanse me through and through. If I look at his life and then look at my life, there's a big disconnect. I want to become more like him. And the only way I can do that is to completely surrender and yield to him and let him cleanse me through and through. And that leads us to the last thing. Saint, we need to be sanctified. Sanctified. Now, that's a word we talk a lot about in the Church of the Nazarene. But it simply means yielding completely to God's Spirit in your life to make you more like Jesus. I'll never forget the day. It was January 1st on my senior year of high school. I was on a dangerous road, literally and figuratively. All throughout my high school years, I started drinking alcohol. I was rebelling against my parents. I left the church. Even though I grew up in the church, I left the church, turned my back on God, and I was done with it. But God never gave up on me. And on New Year's Day, my senior year, I stopped running. And I finally said, Lord, let me yield myself to you completely. It wasn't even at an altar of prayer. It was alone in my car on a snowy road in Michigan where I said, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I said, Lord, I'm giving you everything, my past, my present, my future. And if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, it says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That's entire sanctification. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So and when I was in my car and I yielded to God, I didn't sanctify myself. God sanctified me because I opened up my heart to him and he was faithful to do it. I meet so many people who hear this message about, well, you need to be sanctified with your whole spirit soul, body, and be kept blameless. I mean, I, I can't do that. I mean, I, we don't have a bronze laver to wash ourselves. How can I be clean like that? There's just no way I can do that on my own. And that is the case. If you try to be clean on your own, you will fail miserably. We are just too mistake prone for that. But when God says, I will do it, I will sanctify you through and through. All he needs is a willing heart, a surrender heart, and I will do it. That's when you can have victory. The failures stop when God starts working in your life. 
And even though we're not able, God is able to do it. And when we make that eternal decision to give God everything, past, present, and future, that's when miracles happen. That's when not only have you received the sacrifice, you have been cleansed by a God that loves you so much that he wants to get that skunk smell of sin off of you so that you can live victorious for him. I never thought when I was a senior in high school and I made that decision to yield to God completely, I never thought where my life would end up. I never knew I would marry Sherry. I never knew I would have a little dog named Annie on Mother's Day. I didn't know what the future held, but I knew I was completely devoted to the one who holds the future. And that way, whatever my life takes me, I am going to be okay, because he's gonna get me there every step of the way. When I made that decision in high school to open my heart to God, I never knew that in 2011, I would almost die. And many of you know this story, but I was on a business trip, rushed to the ER, had emergency surgery. They resuscitated me three times. They had me in the ICU for 10 days. While Sherry was in the ICU, they called a code blue because I was dying. I was in the hospital for 30 days. I talked to nurses, surgeons, even an anesthesiologist during my hospital stay, and they said, you should not be here. You should be dead. You should not be here. And I always look back at that experience and I wonder why did God keep me alive back in 2011? And I think, well, maybe it's my ministry. Maybe he wanted me to be the pastor of Chillicothe First Church so in 2022, so he kept me alive in 2011 so I could be here. And I believe that's true. I believe that's one of the reasons. But this past week, I think I figured out the reason why God kept me alive. And I'm so glad I made that decision to yield completely to him because I don't know if I would be here if it wasn't for that. This past week, Evan, in front of a lot of 2022 graduates, actually had a microphone and they asked him the question. They said, what person in your life has made you the person that you are today. And of course, he, he mentioned his mom and I, or my, his mom and I, but then he said, I really want to thank my dad. It's my dad that has taught me to be a man of God, to be a person of integrity. It's my dad that is invested in me. And I sat there with tears rolling down my face. And I knew right then and there, the reason God kept me alive was for that young man back there. When I was in the hospital, he was only eight years old. God has given me another 11 years to pour into heaven, to sow into him. And the reason I mention this is over the last 19 years, I've made mistakes. There's so many times where I fail Evan as a father, I fail Sherry as a husband, but it's not me that makes me clean. It's God. 
And when I see brokenness, God makes us whole. When I see failures, God somehow turns those into success. When I see dirtiness, God somehow makes us clean. And we have an enemy who would love to remind us of our past, all the mistakes we've made, all the failures, all the sins. And what we have to be so strong about is if we've given our life to God, if we have yielded to him, if we have given him everything, then when the enemy says you're dirty, you're unclean, you can say, I am clean. Not because of what I've done, but because of what God's done for me. As mothers, as fathers, as husbands and wives, we fail. But somehow God takes our brokenness and brings beauty out of those ashes. If we just lean on him.